Well, welcome to Epic. My name is Jake Snowden. I am the group's lead here at Epic Church. And thank you so much for uh, being here this morning on site. And if you're joining us from home or anywhere online, thank you so much for taking the time uh, watching and joining with us today. So did any of you guys enjoy the Super Bowl last Sunday? Come on, that was a, that was a good game, right? Now, any, any year that I don't have a team or have a dog in the fight, and I'm a Steelers fan. It's been, it's been a, yeah, Steelers. It's been a couple years since the Steelers have ha- had a deep run in the playoffs. And, you know, I've lived in the Jacksonville area since 2017, and so I kind of have a second team that's pulling on my heart a little bit with the Jags. Uh, but anytime I don't have a team in the big game, all I want to see is a good game. I don't want to see a blowout. I want to see it come down to like a game-winning drive and be close, you know, in hard, fought, tough battle throughout. Uh, and so I thought that was just a great game. And now it didn't quite come down to a game-winning drive like with seconds on the clock. With about two minutes left, you kind of saw it was going to be a game-winning field goal and you just had to play it out. But I thought it was a great game overall. But now the real question, who enjoyed the Super Bowl commercials? No? I thought there were some good ones this year. So sometimes, they, sometimes it's hit or miss, but I thought there were a few good ones. I was tempted to even come in today with my hand in a Pringles jar, as if I couldn't get it out if you saw that one. Uh, but one that I thought was really funny is where uh, Ben Affleck was working like a side hustle job at, at a drive-thru. And then his wife, J-Lo, pulls through the drive-thru and she's like, is this where you go every time you say you're going to work? And he's at the Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru. So I thought that, that was pretty funny. Uh, but there were some good ones. But either way, whether you enjoyed the Super Bowl, enjoyed the halftime show or the, the commercials, how many of you found yourself having a discussion about it at some point during this last week, right? You know, usually Monday morning, you're talking about the game, talking about a funny commercial. And I think there's something when we see something good or something enjoyable or something that, that we liked, we have the tendency to want to tell someone else about it, don't we? And, and so we're in the middle of a series that we are calling Learn from Jesus. Now, this series, it's really part two of a bigger series. We began this back in January, and we're going to carry it all the way through Easter. And we're looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus, and we're, and we're kind of trying to see what that means uh, for us and our mission and what we should do as Christ followers. And so last week, we talked about romance and the Super Bowl. And if you typically don't associate those two words together, I encourage you to uh, find the message from last week online. Go ahead and watch that. And you'll see what I mean, because I made an argument last week that Super Bowl Sunday just might be the most romantic day of the year. Now, imagine with me for just a second. Picture one of those romantic athletes who played in the game of their life last week. And think about everything that it took for them to get to that moment. They spent their entire life training, waking up early in the morning and hitting the gym, eating right, taking care of their body, learning the playbook, studying how to defend against their opponent, attending practices day in, day out, week after week, year after year. But imagine putting in all that hard work throughout their entire life, and then they come running out of the tunnel on Super Bowl Sunday, and they decide to not get into the game. I mean, think about that. That just sounds absurd. But imagine, imagine Patrick Mahomes running through that tunnel, and then he goes up to Coach Reed moments before the game, and he says something like this, hey, Coach, you know, I don't think I'm going to get in the game today. You know, we got plenty of other people, I think, who, who can go out there and do a good job, and these benches look really comfortable. I think I'm just going to sit here and watch other people play today. Like, that just sounds insane. What athlete would ever discipline their body, train their mind, study how to compete against their opponent, spend countless hours perfecting their skills and ability, 
and then decide to remain on the bench and choose to not get into the game. That just sounds absurd. But think about it for a minute. How often does that happen in the church? So often, Christians, they will discipline their body, they will train their mind, they will study how to defend against their opponent. They'll spend countless hours perfecting their gifts and skills and abilities and serving within the safe confines of the local church. But then they never really get in the game by sharing in the mission. Well, the title of today's message is simply this, Tell Everyone, Everyone Tell. And when I think about my own life, there's so many missed opportunities throughout my life where I failed to get in the game and I failed to tell someone about Jesus and to share the good news with them. And I've had all the preparation and training even from a young age. As a matter of fact, my very first memories as like a two or three-year-old are being on the mission field. You see, my father, he was a, a traveling evangelist, and so we actually lived in a motorhome, and we traveled all across parts, the, su- the southwest parts of the United States. Uh, there's my dad, and there's uh, one, two, three, four, five of us right there living in a motorhome. We spent uh, many, uh, many months in places like uh, San Francisco, Las Vegas, El Paso, Texas. And I remember for several months, almost a year, we had our motorhome parked in the parking lot of a church in Las Vegas. And so my dad was a part of a couple different uh, mission organizations. One was called Christ for the Nations and the other was called SOS based out of San Francisco. And not only would they set up these big tent revival meetings where people would invite people to come and hear the good news and to, to repent and be exposed to Jesus for the first time, but then they would go and hit the streets And they would take like a big old cross out on the street and stand on the street corners and lead people to Christ. And when I was a young kid, I thought, that's just what everybody's dad did. Because my dad did and all the other dads that I saw, they were all passionate about sharing their faith for Jesus. But as I got older, I realized that that wasn't really the way that most dads uh, make a profession, was it? And so once my parents had five kids, we outgrew uh, the motorhome and we could no longer live here. There I am and there's our, our new baby, uh, baby sister there. And so once we had five kids, it got a bit cozy in there. And so we actually settled down in a small town in upstate New York. And uh, my parents would go on to have more kids. I'm actually one of 12. And so they just kept on having kids. And uh, the way they made it work is my dad actually bought a duplex. And as the family grew, he bought the other side of the duplex and then took down the walls in the middle and made one giant house. But here's something unique he did. He kept the living room on the other side of the house. And we called that side of the house next door, even though it was attached. But he turned that into a church. And so he rented out the the front half of the other house as a church. Uh, uh, Community believers would come in there and worship on Sundays. And then on Friday nights, my dad, he would stand in there at a pulpit and he'd have a videographer come in and he would stand in front of the camera and he would teach. And I mean, this is like mid eighties. And if you're familiar with the way that teaching was in the mid eighties, you couldn't be a pastor unless your face was gonna be beat red. You had to be committed. And so you would stand there thumping the Bible, quoting scripture, telling people that they had to repent because the kingdom of God was at hand. And that was the kind of teaching style that that was prevalent in the eighties. And so my dad, he would take uh, what was shot on Friday nights and then it would show up on our local access channel on Sunday morning. And some people would watch that as church, right? And so you can imagine growing up in a small town and everybody in that town knew that your dad was the crazy guy on Sunday morning thumping his Bible, telling people about Jesus. But not only that, my dad, we lived, the small town had three lights on it on the main street. He would go out there with his eight foot cross and he would start 
telling people about Jesus. Now, my older two siblings, as you can imagine, got quite embarrassed by this. And so they actually made some decisions throughout their teenage years that kind of separated them uh, from their upbringing and from the things they had been taught. And I learned at an early age that the best way to uh, kind of counteract someone who's been picking on you is to just roll with it. And so I would have uh, friends in the locker room, you know, whether at basketball or football, they'd come up to me and they'd say, hey, Snowden, I saw your dad uh, preaching on the street the other night with this giant cross. And I'd say, awesome, did you give your life to Christ? And that seemed to silence the critics. They didn't want to talk anymore about it once I kind of put the focus on whether or not they made a decision to follow Christ. But as I became a teenager, and I saw my dad just being so bold in his faith, and I realized, you know what? I'd like to tell others about my faith, but I don't know what to do. And so I went to a summer camp uh, after sixth grade, before I went into seventh grade, gave my life to Christ, decided, you know what, I'm going to live for Jesus. And so I started signing up for anything and everything that was going to draw me closer to Jesus. And so I signed up for this, uh, this program. It was a discipleship program. It was called SWAT, and it stood for Serving, Witnessing, and Training. And I did that from eighth grade to 12th grade. And during those years, I learned many ways to bring people to Jesus. Learned how to memorize uh, scripture, learned uh, the Romans road, learned how to bring someone to Christ by using a book that had no words in it. It was called the Wordless Book. It was just a colorful book, and each color represented something different. And so we would meet once a month for about two hours, and we would do this year round and we were gearing up for a mission trip that we'd go to New York City every year where we would spend time running like a vacation Bible school for a church in the inner city. And in the evenings, we would go feed the homeless under the bridges. We'd spend time talking with them about God and faith. And we, we would just share with them and pray with them uh, for their needs. And so as a teenager, I began to put my faith in action and to tell others about Jesus. When I turned 18, my best friend and I, we decided to leave upstate New York, and we moved across the country to sunny California. And when we made that move to go across the, the, the U.S., um, we took a 10-day road trip. Every morning, we'd stop at a truck stop or a rest stop, and we'd spend time in prayer and in devotions, and we'd say, God, we're setting our sights on California, but we submit our plans to you. If you have something else for us, lead us and direct us, and we'll go wherever you say go. Uh, so we prayed, dedicated everything to God. We get to California. Within the first month of being there, my friend and I both ended up with full-time jobs at a church uh, in Garden Grove, California, and I ended up serving in the local church for the next 26-plus years, and God's just done amazing things. I've been surrounded by leaders and mentors and pastors who taught me how to get better at my craft of sharing and preaching the good news. But even with all that, my upbringing on the mission field with my dad, uh, the discipleship things I learned as a, as a young student, being involved in the local church for 20 plus years, there's still times where I fail to get in the game and where I fail to tell everyone about Jesus. Now, when Jesus intentionally came to earth to pursue and to redeem mankind, he understood that he had been sent with a purpose. And just as Jesus was sent by God with a purpose and a mission, we're also being sent out with a purpose and a mission. And so that's where we're going to spend our time today is talking about that commission, about that mission. Now, if you're new to church, um, keep this in mind. This is teaching that Jesus said to his disciples who had been with him for the past three years. These were his closing statements. So this, this is some teaching that if you have been a Christ follower sometime, that you get to partner in that. We, you share that commission. And so if you are new to church or you, you're not even sure if you know about God or Jesus or your faith, I want you to understand that God has empowered not just his disciples and the powers, 
but the people in this room, those who are Christ followers with this mission, and it's for you. It's to help you come into a relationship with God. And so here, here's that commission. In John 20, 21, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And you all see this, so see it in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, here in, in Mark 16, 15, it says, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. And in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, and I love this verse here because it tells you to go, but it, it also tells you what to do when you go. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now this mission that Jesus is commanding uh, Christ followers to be a part of, this is known as the Great Commission. If you're with us last Sunday, last Sunday we talked about the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And the the second one was to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus summed up all the the laws and he said into these two commands, love God and love people. That's the greatest commandment. And so now he's inviting us to partake in this great commission and tell everyone the good news of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at a story in John chapter four where Jesus intentionally went out of his way to pursue this woman at the well. And then he didn't even tell her what to do afterward. Simply by that interaction, she on her own went into the towns and told everyone about Jesus. When she received something good, she wanted to tell someone about something good. She went and told others. So church, if we've been commissioned to go into all the world, and to preach the good news to all creation, why is it that sometimes we're so hesitant to get in the game? I think one of the reasons for that today is simply people, they just don't want to accept that it's their job or that they've been called to be a part of that mission. You know, many, many people today, they're perfectly fine getting up on a Sunday morning and going to church. They're fine reading their Bible, spending time in prayer. They're fine signing up and joining a community group And they're even fine serving in their local church. But when it comes time to getting in the game and actually sharing and talking about their faith, there's just something that oftentimes holds us back. And if that describes you just a little bit, I don't want you to be discouraged. You can look around this room and there's a lot of people in this room who share that same feeling. They're willing to do all the other things, but when it comes time to share in their faith, it's it's difficult, it's hard. I struggle with that today. It's difficult to tell everyone about Jesus. I might be able to stand up here on a Sunday morning and talk about my faith, but in the back of my mind, I can count countless opportunities that I have missed along the way to share Christ with a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, sometimes even a family member. I think the main reason it's so difficult to share our faith with others is because we try to do it on our own strength, don't we? You see, Jesus commissioned us to go and preach the good news, but before he commissions us to go, he's going to give the disciples a little nugget here. He's going to tell them, before you go, I want you to wait. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, you can make your way to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be reading from the New Living Translation today. And if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles located at the back of each seating section. Feel free to grab one now or on your way out. That's our gift to you. 
We're going to begin in, in verse one, but let me give you a little uh, background here. This, this moment here, Jesus, he's going to be commissioning his disciples to go and spread the good news. Now, he could have just sent them out to go on their own power and their own strength, but he's going to instruct them before they go to wait. So verse one, it says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, the book of Acts is actually a part two. It's part two of the gospel of Luke, which is written by Luke. And so he's beginning uh, these verses here by saying, in my former book, which he's referring to the gospel of Luke, and the gospel of Luke ends with Jesus dying on the cross and then rising from the dead. And so this story in Acts is picking up. It's that, that sequel, part two. So here in verse three, it says, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many, in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? In verse 7, he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. So maybe you caught it there in verse four. He tells his disciples to not go. Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. Now what would have happened if Jesus sent his disciples out right at that moment? Well, for starters, they had been baptized in water, but they had not yet been baptized with the Holy Spirit. You see, baptism, it deals with immersion. It means you're completely covered. When you're baptized in water, you are immersed in water. When you're baptized in the Spirit, you are immersed in the Spirit. If you've given your life to Christ, that's happened to you. When you say, Jesus, come into my life and you become a Christ follower, you become immersed in the Spirit is living within you. So if you're if you're sitting around and you're waiting for one of these Acts 2 moments for the Holy Spirit to, to come and settle on you and you start speaking in tongues, no, you've already been filled with the Spirit. You have the Spirit of God living in you. And so Jesus asks his disciples to wait until he sends the Holy Spirit because he knows that in order for them to be effective for the kingdom of God, it's not going to come from their own power. It's not going to come from their own strength. They must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. The disciples going out to the spread the good news without the Holy Spirit. It'd be like if you're a sailor and you set out to go on a long journey, but you don't take a sail along to catch the wind. So why does Jesus have them wait 10 days to receive the Spirit? Does anybody in here enjoy waiting? I don't see any hands going up at all. Yeah, I hate waiting. I am like a mile a minute type A personality. I like to get things done. I do not like waiting. I hate waiting rooms. I hate waiting in lines. And I especially, especially hate waiting in traffic. And there's times 
I think every time, every time I see a yellow light, I speed up to take the yellow light. And my wife, she's shaking her head right now in the front row, but she'll nudge me. She'll say, babe, we're not even in a hurry. And my response is, I don't need to be in a hurry. I just don't want to wait at that yellow light. And so I don't like to wait. And so why does God make us wait? Jesus asked his disciples to wait to receive the spirit. You know, you would think that Jesus would want to capitalize on this moment. He's, he's ascending into heaven. You think it would make sense for him to send the Holy Spirit right at that moment so the disciples could go and begin to spread the good news at that exact moment. But he makes them wait. You know, I think there's power in the waiting, but there's also testing in the waiting. This is a great parallel to when Moses was at Mount Sinai and he goes up to receive the law and the the Israelites, they have to wait for him to come down. And while they're waiting, what happens? Exodus 32, one, it says, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. They said, come on, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So they gather all their gold and jewelry and earrings and Aaron melts it down and he forms a golden calf for them to worship. Israel was tested and they failed. The last time that the disciples were without Jesus, they were tested. And what happened, they scattered. It says all of them but John. Only John was the disciple who remained at the cross. The rest scattered. And so what does it look like in your life when you're without Jesus, when you're waiting on God, when you can't feel him and you can't feel his presence, when you're screaming at the top of your lungs, God, where are you? It seems like the world around me is crashing in. If if you ever read the Psalms, King David would say this prayer many times. He'd say, God, where are you? My enemies are overtaking me. Do you even exist? Do you love me? Where are you? What does it feel like when you're waiting for God to show up? If you want to experience the full power of God in your life, you need to be faithful in the waiting. I'm sure there were at least a few disciples who saw Jesus go up into the clouds and and, and immediately they wanted to start going and sharing the good news, but there must have been one or two who said, hang on, wait, 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 where are you going? He asked us to wait. Don't go, he said, wait until you are filled with the Spirit. Because you can try to do it on your own power but wouldn't you rather have the power of God working through you? Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So they wait. If you turn over to Acts chapter two, the disciples and all the believers are waiting. There's 120 of them who are gathered together in the upper room. And it says in Acts two, beginning in verse one, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. As they began to speak in other languages, the crowds who were in Jerusalem, it says in verse seven, it said they were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Verse 12, it says they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. And then in Acts 2, 12, 
says, then empowered by the Holy Spirit. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, Peter. Now, this is the same Peter who had denied Jesus three times. This is the same Peter who fled when Jesus was crucified. This is the same Peter who had been in hiding after Jesus' death. This same Peter, he gets up in front of everyone and he gives a response to the crowds. And this response becomes known as the church's first sermon ever preached. And during this sermon, Peter preaches that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, whom wicked men had put to death by nailing him to a cross. But you know what? He says it was impossible for death to keep its grip on Jesus. And Jesus conquered death. He conquered the grave. Acts 2, 37 to 41. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other, other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. You've heard that word repent over the last couple weeks. What does repent mean? Repent basically means to change direction, to do a 180. You've lived your entire life focused upon you and pleasing yourself and living by your rules and your guidelines and following your plan for your life. And when you repent, you're giving all that over to God. You're saying, I want to follow you. I want to do things your way. I'm willing to give up what I thought was right and submit to you. Repent. He says, repent and be saved. Turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. So have you been called by God? Has God pursued you? If so, this promise, this promise is for you. In verse 40, then it goes, Peter goes on, he says he's preaching for a long time and he's urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. 120 people gathered together in one place had been waiting and then by the end of that day, 3,000 were baptized and added to their number. What if they didn't wait to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? What if they went out after two or three days and said, you know what, we've been waiting here for a while. I think it's time we start going. And they went and did it on their own strength and on their own power. You might think that, that you're being effective because you're not afraid to talk about Christ at work or with your family or in your school. But are you doing it on your power? Because if you're doing it on your power, if you're operating on your own power, your results will be limited by your power. Wait on the Lord. Sit in his presence. Let him speak to you. Let him fill you up and empower you with the Holy Spirit. If you want to be an effective witness for God, first spend time waiting on God. If you want to be effective for the cause of Christ, you need to be filled up filled up so much that you begin to overflow. In the book of Acts, the early church began with 120 people waiting on God. After Peter's first sermon, 3,000 people believed in Jesus and were baptized that day. And just looking around this room, in this service alone, there's easily more than 120 people. There's more than 120 people in this one section alone. 
plus everybody who's joining us at home or online, wherever you are. And, and they started, the early church began with 120 people. And we have so many more Christ followers in this room today. You know, God has been doing some amazing things in the life of Epic Church. And I believe that God is going to use Epic Church to do some things in Flagler County that are far greater than anything that we could ever ask, think, or imagine. I've only been part of Epic Church for a little over a month now. But from all the conversations I've had with the pastors and the leadership here at Epic, I know that there is a desire for Epic Church to not just be a church that exists in the community, but there is a strong desire in calling and mission for Epic Church to be effective in reaching people for the kingdom of God. When people who don't do church walk in onto this campus each and every Sunday, I hope they experience the love and grace and mercy that can only be received from Jesus. When people who don't do church walk onto this campus each and every single week, guess what they need? They need a church that is vibrant, a church that has been filled up. Because when you're filled up, guess what you can do? You can begin to overflow. But as a Christ follower, if you are dependent on showing up here on Sunday morning for that to be your one hour where you get filled up every week, how will you ever have enough to overflow to the people who are walking in here and need you to be overflowing into their lives? As a church, we wanna help you in every way possible. Each week we have a digital copy and a hard copy on your way out where you can get the spiritual growth challenge. We wanna encourage you to be in the word, be getting fed throughout the week so that way when you show up here on a Sunday morning, you can be overflowing to people in our community. Who, who might be saying, you know what? I was done with church, but then I heard about this church for people who don't do church, and I thought, I'm gonna go give that one more shot. And that might be you today. There might be people in here today where you're giving God one last shot, and you're seeking. And what you need is a community to come around you and to be able to overflow the love and grace and mercy that has been shown to us, and we wanna show it to our community. We can only overflow with the love of Jesus if we're taking the time to wait and sit at the Lord's feet, soak in his presence, be immersed with his spirit. Because if we're not filled up with the love of God, how can we ever expect to overflow with the love of God? In Acts 1.8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Once you've waited on the Lord, once you've spent time in his word, once you've spent time at his feet and you've soaked in his presence, now it is time for you to go, to go out in the power, in the strength of the Lord. Acts 1.8, the second half of the verse goes on to say, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now notice this verse, what this verse doesn't say. It doesn't say, you can choose to be my witnesses. It doesn't say, if one of your top three spiritual gifts is evangelizing, then you can partake in this commission. No, it says, you will be my witnesses. 
tell everyone and everyone tell. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what what does that mean? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Well, this passage has been interpreted in two different ways. And you know what? I like both of them. So I'm going to present both to you today. The traditional way to interpret this passage is geographically. You think of Jerusalem as being your city, your local community. Judea is your, your county. That's Flagler County and the surrounding cities. You think of Samaria as your state or the regions in proximity. And the ends of the earth is everywhere else. At Epic Church, every Sunday, we have the opportunity to be a blessing to this community as families walk onto this campus for the first time. Some of those families are, are coming and looking for a light because they're living in a dark world and they need a light to show them how to navigate through their darkness. And so when you serve at Epic, you are directly loving on the families in our community. This is how you can begin to go and impact your Jerusalem. Just simply serve because the families are coming to us. What about our Judea and Samaria? Well, Judea and Samaria, they were the regions surrounding Jerusalem. And as the church expanded, the disciples and the apostles, they began to, they started in Jerusalem and they began to expand to these outer regions and they shared the good news to those people. And so for Epic, you could consider Flagler County to be our Judea. Our Samaria, that would expand throughout all of Florida and throughout the South. And so how are we reaching our Judea and Samaria? We have our four Flagler initiative, our 3G events, Faith for Flagler Schools, our Care Network and Counseling Center, Disaster Relief, Samaritan's Purse, the food drive that we're partnered in. This is just a few of the things that we're doing to reach our county and our surrounding areas. How are we reaching the ends of the earth? Well, one, we send out full-time missionaries. We have full-time missionaries who are serving right now. Josh and Maddie, they're serving in New Zealand. We are partnered with Serve Now in Ukraine. And we have three trips coming up that are going to be going to Guatemala over the next few months. In March, we have a a tools trip that's happening. We have a medical missions trip that's going to Guatemala in June. And then in July, we have a trip that's going to be going and serving El Club. We're actually going to the ends of the earth. And maybe you can't physically go on one of our Go Guatemala trips this year, but you can prayerfully and financially support those who are going. And by doing that, it's one easy way for you to begin to contribute toward reaching the nations for Christ. If you go on our website or you go on our app, you can go to the Give tab and you're going to see a drop-down menu. When you select that drop-down menu, you'll see a list of all the names, the people who are going on those trips. And I want to encourage you, look at those names, begin to pray for those names individually. And if you click on one of those names, you can actually give a donation, which is going to help offset their cost to go on that trip. Or you can scroll down to the very bottom and you can just give a financial donation to El Club. It'll go to them directly in Guatemala. If you can't go this year, I encourage you to give. But don't stop there. Begin to pray while you're taking time to soak in God's presence. Say, God, is that something you have for me? Maybe next year or the year after? 
Would, could you ever use me to go on one of those go trips and serve kids, serve a community, teach them a trade, go help out with some, some medical needs? Could you use me? Begin to pray if God would use you and call you on a short-term mission trip, maybe next year. So at Epic Church, we are committed to helping you fulfill your part in the Great Commission. To go and tell people everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we can look at the Great Commission geographically. We can also look at it relationally. You can consider your Jerusalem as your family. Those people who live with you. Those people who know you. That's your Jerusalem. Your Judea, they're your neighbors. Your co-workers. This next one's a tough one. When you're looking at it relationally, Samaria, that's your enemies. We talked about that last week. The Jews and Samaritans, they hated each other. Are you able to love your enemies? Can you share the good news of Christ with someone who hates you? And then the ends of the earth, that includes everybody else. So church, I wanna challenge you. No matter where you're at on your journey, if you're a new believer and you have the spirit of God living in you, I wanna challenge you to allow the spirit to work through you. Start impacting your Jerusalem, your Judea, your Samaria. Be willing to go to the ends of the earth because the great commission, it's not a suggestion. It's a mission that you've been invited by Jesus Christ who pursued you and he's saying, as the father has sent me, now I am sending you. I wanna leave this verse with you as we close. Romans 10, 14 to 15 says this. It says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. So church as Christ followers, we get to be the messengers who bring the good news. And if you are a Christ follower, that tells me one thing for sure, that at some point there was someone, there was someone who cared about you so much, who loved you so much that they decided to share the good news with you. It might've been a pastor, might've been a youth leader, might've been a family member, maybe a mom, a dad, an aunt, uncle. There was someone in your life who loved you so much that they, they, they were concerned about your eternity and they shared the good news with you. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And so I don't know about you, church, but, but I wanna make Christ known. I want the name of Jesus to be known in my Jerusalem, in my Judea, my Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I don't want to be, I don't want to be one of those, those people who run through that tunnel on the biggest day of my life and say, you know what, coach, thanks for allowing me to be here, but I'm going to sit this one out. I'm sure someone else will go out there and play today. I want to get in the game. I want to say, God, use me. Use me today. God, I want that to be a prayer every day. God, put someone in my path who needs 
to hear the good news of Jesus. I want to be willing to speak to them. And I know that you're going to speak through me to do it. So church, let's, let's stand as we close in prayer and then we're going to have a moment of worship. And as we pray, maybe God's put someone on your heart already. Now you could go, you could leave the service and go tell them about Jesus right now. But pray, begin to pray, say, God, how can I speak to them? How can I share with them the good news? And is it just a good measure of accountability? If you're here with someone today, I want to challenge you. Look at that person after, after church and say, God told me, God put this person on my heart. I'm supposed to share Jesus with them. And hold that person accountable. Say, have you been praying for them? Are you speaking to them? Look for opportunities to lead people to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that first you loved us and you pursued us. God, thank you for anyone in here who's given their life to you and is a Christ follower and has the spirit already living in them. God, I pray, Lord, that, that we will learn how to sit at your feet, how to soak in your presence and be immersed by your spirit, God. I pray that when we have those conversations with people, Lord, that we love, people that we are pursuing, that we want to tell about you, God, that it's not gonna be our strength and our knowledge, but God, that you're gonna speak through us. So give us the boldness to open our mouth and speak, knowing that you will speak through us, God. Let us be bold this week and get in the game. It's in your name we pray. Amen.